Amen. Stay standing. Welcome. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We magnify you. We glorify you. We lift up your name that's above every name. Lord, we're here before you as humble servants, but as children. But Lord, speak to us tonight, not as babes, but as mature. Father, I thank you for the love of Jesus that poured, that was poured upon this earth, that was spilt by his blood on that cross. I declare and decree that Jesus is Lord over this meeting. Man's opinion has no, no reason nor right, but it's only Jesus what he says. For the word will set us free, if you know that truth. So, Father, I thank you for tonight. Holy Spirit, you're in charge. I thank you, Father, tonight that every heart will understand how much you love us tonight. Let the love of Jesus fall upon us. Let's not play church. Let's experience his love, his glory. We thank you, Lord. We lift up your name. It's above every name. And we declare the Holy Spirit has his way. You are magnified in our hearts. I thank you, Father. We thank you for the blessings of the families that are here. Lord, we thank you for the children that are sitting under the anointing, whether it's in this room or next door. Don't be distracted with kids crying in that because allow the Holy Spirit to come upon them. We've got to get out of religious mindsets and understand that the Holy Spirit's in control. And we love you for that. We are stewards of his glory. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Welcome. It's awesome to be with you again this Sunday. It's always an honor and a privilege to bring the word. It's exciting that we get to participate in what God's doing on this earth in these last days. Amen. And when we participate, which means we are co-laborers with Christ. See, what God wants to do, he will do. And there ain't no opinion about us or what anyone else thinks or what the environment thinks or how much the petrol prices are or, um, uh, <laughs> or, or, or all this sort of external stuff. We are here at such a time as this. Amen? There's no mistake that you're here on this earth at this point in time, at this season. But the word of God's promises don't change. God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And we've got to start as a people to grow in the knowledge and the wisdom of God. Paul says, I want to speak to you as, as mature. I want to give you meat, but I have to give you the milk of the word again because you're so carnal. You're still, on, you're still on milk, but you ought to be teachers by now. We're not going to be those people, amen? We're going to be a people that understands what God is doing, understand what God has done, and understand where God is going. Amen. People often say to me, when do you think God's going to move? <laughs> God has moved. See, but the thing is, in reality, God doesn't move. God is everywhere at all times. Amen. We move in God. God's not waiting for us. We're not waiting for God to move like we're catching a bus. And we're going to the next anointing, the next flow of the Holy Spirit, the next you know, revival meeting. No, 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 no. God's already moving. We just got to get on to the flow of God. We've got to move with God. Amen. Amen. You know, we can, see, we can go by what we see. And everyone's got a theology here. Everyone's got an ideology here. Everyone's got an opinion or a worldview. And I can honestly tell you, they're all wrong. Even mine. The only view we have is Jesus. Amen. Amen. So tonight I want to share, I'm going to continue on Isaiah 53. 
And um, we're going to break bread at the end. But I want to do it in a different way. I want to teach on Isaiah 53. And I want us to see something. See, I'm going to share some things about the bread, um, the, how they, in a small way, show you how they used to they do the Sabbath and the Passover and what they used to do. And you're going to say, wow, why can't they see it? And I'm going to ask you the question, why can't you see it? And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Who has believed our report? That was my message last week. So we're going to go Isaiah 53. We're going to read it all again, but we're not going to talk about the whole. Well, let's read it again. It's, it's worthy. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before us as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comingness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid as if we were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep that have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will, and who will de- declare his, his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord. Everyone say, please the Lord. That bugged me for many years. All right? We're going to talk about that today. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Who bruised him? There goes one sacred cow. I think he's all believed that the Jews killed him, that the Romans killed him, that we killed him. But look, he says his God put him on the cross. Yea, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He was put, he put him to grief. When you make his soul, the word soul there is life. Life and soul are interchangeable. Our offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteousness servant shall justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressor. Amen. There's a lot there, eh? I want to touch on a few things tonight. That one there, it says about God bruised him. And that really is hard to understand, eh? that he sent his son, and that his son came onto this earth, and then the very creation killed him. Today, a lot of people celebrate Palm Sunday. It's, if you're on one side, if you're the other side, you celebrate it next week, because Easter eggs are cheaper a week later, if you're orthodox. I thought I had to throw that in, bit of a joke. But isn't it funny that we go get palms, 
And we celebrate Palm Sunday, but no one brings clothes because at the same time the donkey came in, they were putting clothes on the ground. So why do we do what we do? There's nothing wrong with celebrating Palm Sunday. But the same people that were saying, Hosea in the, Hosanna in the highest is crucify him. See, we can very quickly change from you are our Lord or you are our offense. So when Jesus came on the earth and, and he, he came to fulfill all righteousness, and we've spoken about this, Jesus now, in Isaiah 53, Isaiah saw this in the spirit. Isaiah wrote this 600 years before Jesus. They need parent classes. No, I'm joking. Oh, it's Doreen. Oh, sorry, Samuel. Um, anyway, um, I'm joking, Doreen. Sit down. <laughs> All right, thank you for coming next week. We'll see you though. What was I saying? Let's see who's listening. What, what did I just say? That was 10 minutes ago. You know, Jesus, people say to me all the time, Jesus came and fulfilled scripture. All the prophecies now. It's true. But we get this idea sometimes that Judas did what he did because he knew what he had to do and he had to do it because it was written that he's going to do it. And it's like God's put all these pieces in a puzzle and then we all fulfilled this game that he's playing. God is outside of time. God knows the beginning from the end. True? He's outside of time. God, Jesus didn't come to fulfill scripture. Jesus came and scripture was fulfilled. Don't get the two mixed up. And, he, and Isaiah says, who has believed our report? Isaiah saw this in the spirit. Isaiah saw this and that's why the first thing he says who has believed this? Who's going to believe this report? What I saw was uncommon, un, unbelievable to Isaiah. And when he writes it in, in Isaiah, in the spirit as a prophet, he saw. He spoke as a first person that he was there. But in the prophetic sense, he saw it. And he said, God says to him, write it. So he writes this thing about this man growing up in a, in a dry land, like the, a tender shoot in dry land. That's just a figure of speech is that this man, this Messiah is going to grow up in a very you know, uncommon way. He's not, going to, he's not going to come out of a palace or out of a high religious family or out of the temple. He's going to come out of a, a rural barren land. It's not much happens in Judah. Not, if you go to Bethlehem today, it's just a small little village on the side of the, in, in Judah. Yet this tender shoe grew up in dry land. There was nothing beautiful about Jesus. There's nothing. He didn't come on this earth with halos on his head and walking around and they go, wow. Nothing was attractive about Jesus until he started to preach, started to teach. He was hated more when he started to do that by religious people, but the common folk followed him. And he goes on to talk about all these things. But today we're going to talk about a few things. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. So Isaiah saw this. In the spirit. So God shows it to him. He writes it. He sees this and it freaks him out. But he describes it the best he can. But Peter saw what Isaiah saw in the spirit. Peter saw in the natural. Peter was there. Whether he was up close, whether he was from behind. We know that Peter ended up with the council when they were all judging Jesus, all the Pharisees and the Sadducees and everyone. Peter was there. And they publicly whipped him. Now, if you've been in the church circle a long time, 
How many know who's ever read books about Jesus got lashed 39 times and 39 lashes for 39 diseases that we have on this earth today? Put your hand up if you heard that. How many people have heard the fact that the Jews used to whip someone who was the full punishment for death? If you were punished, you couldn't get any more than 40 lashes, less one. They always made sure they gave you less one so they didn't break the law. And we've been taught that that's 39 lashes, Jesus got. But you've got to understand something, that that's great theology, but it's wrong. And I'm going to explain to you why it's wrong. Okay? Look what Peter saw. Who committed no sin? No, no, I'm just coming. If you read the whole chapter, he's talking about Jesus. So Jesus committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree, speaking of the cross, that we have died to sins, might live for righteousness by those whose stripes you are healed. Peter just described Isaiah 53. What's the next verse? For we, here we are. For you were like sheep gone astray, but have, no, have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your soul. Peter just de described now Isaiah 53. Let's go to Isaiah 53. Just want to show you something. And verse 3. Can we go to verse 3? I think it is. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted of grief. He was, and it was hid as if we were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Next verse. Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he, but he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah said, like I said, Isaiah saw this in the spirit. Peter saw it in the real. But I love the next verse of Peter. Peter says, we're all like sheep that have gone astray, but now we've come back to the shepherd or the overseer. Doesn't it say that in Peter before I read it earlier? Isaiah says, we've all sheep gone astray, speaking that people have turned to their own ways. And God had to pay the punishment of us all. Peter now is seeing it from another perspective. He's seeing Jesus fulfilling Isaiah 53 in front of his eyes. And he's writing to say that, yes, he bore our sins. He's a man with no sin who became sin that we could become righteous in him. And he said that the sheep were gone astray. We were all astray. But now we've come back to the shepherd or the overseer. You know, the overseer is talking about the Holy Spirit. Now that the heavens have been opened because of what Jesus did on the cross. Can we go back to 1 Peter, please? I want to share this with you. Go back to verse, I think it's 20. Next. Who, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who was the righteous judge in this? Was it Pontius Pilate? It wasn't Pontius Pilate. Was it Caiaphas, the high priest? It wasn't the high priest. Was it Herod, the king? But we read in Isaiah that God smitten him and stricken him. Did we not read that earlier? And I said, God, did we not read that earlier? Yeah? Here, Peter's seeing it from his perspective that 
Jesus had to fulfill what he had to fulfill. He had to fulfill the fullness of the sacrifice. He had to be the fullness of the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He had to fulfill the high priesthood. We spoke about that over the few months. But when you read Isaiah, he's going, it pleased God to strike him. It pleased God to strike him. He's cruel. But here he says he committed himself to a just judge or a righteous judge. Let's go to Deuteronomy. I want to show you something. I want to paint the picture here. I want you to understand this. I want you to see this. I want you to be blessed by this. I want you to understand that when we have communion, you're not taking a piece of bread and saying, I've had communion. You're going to understand. Your eyes are going to open and see what the victory of Calvary has done for us. Because the early church broke bread daily and there was a victory. It wasn't just, I'm taking a religious bread and religious wine. I'm going to see the power of God move in my life. Amen? Amen? I've, I've broken bread with people with demons and demons manifest. And I remember one time this girl was doing all these wonderful things. Sorry to, for the little kids. And she was manifesting. She was doing somersaults, backflips, whatever you want to call it, full of demons. So this girl, let's break bread. She stopped. And the demon was talking. That's just a story. Okay, get the garlic bread. Garlic bread. Whatever bread on the table, just bring it. This girl sat down. Like that, mocking us. The minute the girl came with the plate and some wine, it was actually Coke. But, uh, for all these religious people, just freaked out now. All of a sudden, she got up and she smashed this plate out of her hand. Demon manifested. Picked it off the ground. We prayed. We broke bread. God set her free. There's power in the resurrection of Jesus. There's power in communion. But there's power in what Jesus did at the cross. Amen? Deuteronomy here. Now, listen to this. Ready? In the old days, when the judges ruled over the tribes, they had judges. They were the leaders of every tribe. And if you had a dispute, let's say me and Rabbis had a dispute. Um, Paris better than Canterbury. You know, it's a dispute. The judge would just tell Rabbis to go home because we know who the better team is. But, but let, <laughs> I'm joking. But let's say me and Rabbis had a dispute. We would have to, they would say to us, go and sort out your dispute, whatever the dispute is, whether they were fighting over land, whether I did a job and he didn't pay me, whatever. But if you brought this dispute in front of the judge, the judge was the final authority. And it wasn't like a courtroom where you go in front of an arbitrator or Department of Fair Trading and he says, well, he owes me money. No, he didn't do his job. He would rule and say, okay, you owe him the money. Pay the money. This is different. And we're going to read it. But in a nutshell, it was basically, if I take, take Rabs to the judge in the dispute, and we both go in front of the judge, I've got to be very careful that I've got all the facts right and I'm innocent. Because if the judge would say, no, you owe Rabs money, it's not just here, pay him his money. It says, all right, now bend over. We're going to whip you for being unrighteous. So if you lose the case, you're going to get whipped. Depending on the transgression or depending on the sin so no one went to the judge to get ruled over or to make a decision unless they were 100 percent sure they were in right in the in 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 the right because if you were found guilty you're getting whipped and it could be up to 39 lashes let's read it for there was a dispute between men and they came to the court and the judges may may judge them and they justified the righteous and condemned the wicked then it shall be, if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, then that judge will cause him to lie down and be beaten in the presence according to his guilt, which with a certain number of blows. 
40 blows was the maximum he may give him and no more. Least he should exceed this and beat him with many blows above these and your brother be humiliated in your sight. In other words, you would not get 40 blows because I didn't want to despise you in front of your own people. That's like the worst of the worst. In that, that makes sense? Remember Paul says in Corinthians, I've been beaten and whipped five times, turning 40 less one, five times. So the apostle Paul, they get him, they, the Jews would whip him. They wouldn't give him 40, they give him 39. Another traditional law says that if he got 40, they weren't allowed to whip him again. But that's not in scripture. I haven't found that yet. But according to here, because you don't want to humiliate your brother in your sight. In other words, you don't want him to be an outcast because he got 40 lashes. Does that make sense? Now, we got this theory that Jesus got 39 lashes when he got whipped. I'm telling you here now, the Jews did not whip Jesus. The Romans whipped Jesus. They scourged him. And there was no law they had, like the Jews. They said, scourge him, just don't kill him. Can we put that picture up of the whip? The Jewish whip, and I was trying to find one. I could not find one. But I'm guessing the Jewish whip was a long whip because when Jesus made, remember he put three cords together and made a whip and drove the money changers out? So I'm guessing it's something like that, but it was a single whip. But the Romans were absolute experts at scourging. We call it whipping, but he was scourged. It was basically a two-foot table, like a, a tree like this, a stump. They would either tie him to him or they would put his back like that. They would lock up his legs, his hands, put his head, head in a ring, and then they would whip him. They'd normally, this is probably not it, but they would normally have anywhere between, you've heard of the cat and nine tails, that was later, but they believed there was either a minimum three, if not six, little whips that would tie bones to it, like dead, you know, animals' bones. They would put metal, they would put broken uh, clay, pots of clay that were broken, and they would tie it into the, to the whips. They would dip it in water, and then they would go to scourge the prisoner. Jesus, if, 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 let's say it wasn't six, let's say it was three. That means every one stroke is three whips. That type of Whipping the Romans did was called, um, the scourging was called flag, 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 flagion, something to do with it. It's a Greek word, domestos. All right, flagion. And if you were sentenced to that type of punishment, normally the people in jail that would get sentenced to that maximum punishment would actually commit suicide in jail because they didn't want to go through that pain. I could go through a lot here. But I want to show you that Jesus didn't get whipped with a single whip under a Jewish law. Jesus got whipped by men who did not care. And they loved hitting Jews and killing Jews. And they had no, no recourse. They said, just whip him. The Bible says that Jesus was scourged. I, jumped, I sent you that um, Isaiah 52. I'm just, this is Isaiah 53. We're talking about what we're talking about now. But Isaiah 52, he says... Just as many were astonished at you, so his vision, or his visage, was marred more than any man, and his form more than 
the sons of man. If another translation says, he was disfigured unto human recognition. In other words, Jesus, when he got to the cross, he was a piece of meat hanging off some bones. No one could, no one could look at him. That's what the Bible says. We didn't esteem him. We hid our faith from him. Remember Isaiah? We hid our faith. Why? Because he looked like a piece of meat on that cross. That's the cross of Calvary. Because he saw this. It's amazing to know that how we can simplify something that Jesus went through. How we can say, I believe in the cross, but we don't understand the cross. See, in reality, 2,000 years ago, Jesus saved us. 2,000 years ago, Jesus healed us. 2,000 years ago, Jesus set us free. Why? The payment for all that was made at the cross. And then he rose from the dead so he could release it out. Tonight, you're going to be healed. Tonight, you're going to understand that you don't have to be bound by physical infirmities, spiritual infirmities. You don't have to be an outcast. You don't have to wonder where where are you in my life? You've never moved in my life. And you can see what he did at the cross 2,000 years ago. And not even knowing that you would even believe. If you were the only one on this earth, he still would have went to the cross. If you're the only one, it's a very powerful thing to understand. Peter was amazed when he saw this. Peter's writing after the fact. We know Peter denied Jesus. We know Peter ran. But Peter saw this. You know, in John 6.35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Hallelujah. He's the manna from heaven. He's the true manna from heaven. But there's something has to happen here. You know, put up the picture of the matzah. The Bible says that when Jesus was with his disciples in the Last Supper that we call the Last Supper, he was actually celebrating the Passover feast. And every Sabbath, the Jews, they will lock themselves up on sundown on Friday night, Friday afternoon, as soon as the sun goes down. And they would get together and they would tell their children and they would pray about how God delivered them from Egypt and how, what the great wonders God did through Abraham. And they would share these stories. What i got in my hand now, and I want to share with you, i got it in my hand now. This is unleavened bread or matzah bread or matzo bread. Baba says that the Jews have a feast for one week called the Feast of Unleavened. Unleavened just means yeast. Then we put yeast in the bread to puff it up. In that, they weren't allowed no yeast. Yeast, the Bible says, speaks of sin. When you add to the bread, it puffs up. What does the Bible say? You puff yourself up in pride. It's an adding too. But this bread was just made out of flour, grains, a grain crushed, water, no, no yeast, no sugar, nothing. Just water, flour, and they put it into the oven or the fire. It was the bread of affliction. So the Jewish people to this day have this bread. And they eat from this bread. And this bread is called the bread of affliction. Because when they eat it, there's hardly a taste to it. It's not sweet. It's not nice. It's just dry. And they eat it and they say, this is the bread of affliction. Because that's what we were. We were afflicted in Egypt for 430 years. That we were in slavery. And they eat it to remember now that they're out of slavery in the sense of they're not fully, uh, physically 
in captivity, but they break this bread and they tell their children that. But it's an amazing thing that this is what Jesus spoke about. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. True? Jesus had no sin in him. There was no leaven in him. There was no yeast in him. Remember Jesus said, beware of the yeast of the Pharisee. Didn't he wear it? He goes, beware a little yeast or a little leaven corrupts the whole batch. Jesus had no sin in him. So he was able to go to the cross sinless. But this is interesting. What they would do, and there's so many things they would do, but I just, want to just, I just thought this was fascinating. I've got three in here. What they would do, that would be on the table, and they'd have bread on the table, and they would pray, and they would tell their children stories. But what they would do during the ceremony, or the dinner, I should say, they would pull, there's three breads there, yeah? They'd pull the middle one out. Then he would pray, and then he would break it. This piece stays on the table to eat. This piece goes into another white cloth, and they wrap it. You could say they hid it. It was hidden. And what they would do, they would hide this somewhere in the house. And that would stay there too. But that would have to come back to the table by the end of the night. Look at this. They do this every Sabbath. They would hide it. And the name of that bread that was broken would be hidden in a white linen cloth and put somewhere in the house. Later in the night, they would do, kids go and find it. They had to go and find it. It was like a treasure to them if they found it. Look at this. It says, that name of that bread means Ophikoma. Ophikoma in Hebrew, which means, I will come again. They do this every Sabbath. They break the bread, and the name of that portion of bread, hiding it in the linen, is called I will come again. I don't know if you've seen this because I'm about to do somersaults. This bread, look at it. Isaiah 53, what does it say? He was bruised. No, you don't have to go there. Sorry, you're so good. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. We're going to pass this out shortly. We're going to have it. I want you to show it's a big piece. I want you to see. I want you to see this. I want you to see it to understand what he actually did for you. This bread's got. This was put in the ovens. Obviously, the Bible says he was bruised for our iniquity. Look at the bruises. That's just the heat off the fire. Yeah. He was bruised for our. He was wounded for our transgression. If you could see the bread. There's piecings, there's holes. I don't know if you can see it. There's holes and there's lines. Can you see the lines, the stripes? Look at this. <laughs> God tells the Israelites to make unleavened bread. Time of Moses. Jesus comes. He was bruised for our iniquity. He was wounded for our transgressions. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes... We are healed. Hallelujah. It's already in pattern in the Old Testament, and they're proclaiming it and they're prophesying it with their actions every Sabbath and every Passover. And in the, if, you, if you study it in deeper, the Jew would carry the cup first. And he said, this is the, this is the covenant drink. 
and this is the bread. But Jesus in the Passover changed it. He says, this is my body that was broken for you. Where did Jesus go before the cross? Can someone tell me? I hope you're listening. Where did Jesus go before the cross? Where did Jesus go before the cross? Come on, we just spoke about the last hour. Where? Before Palm, after Palm Sunday. Where did, all right, let's, uh, where did Pilate send them? What did Pilate say to do to him? Whip him. Was his body not broken with the whips? Isn't that where his body was truly broken? So when he said, this is my body broken for you first, he's saying, I'm going to go to a, a purging. I'm going to go to a scourging. And I'm going to, my body's going to be broken. So in reality, when Jesus went to the whipping post, he was, heal, he was broken for our healing. He was bruised for our iniquity. And then when they put him on the cross, they pierced him. His blood was shed. And the remission of sin. Isn't it a, picture, a beautiful picture? That Jesus is saying, this is my body now, broke for you. They didn't understand a word he was saying. They understood it later. It's interesting that this bread is just made out of flour, grain, crushed. You add water and put it in fire. Grain speaks of the earth realm, Adam. Jesus came as the son of man, Adam. He brought the living water and baptized in the fire of the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. We are born of the earth realm. We're born of Adam. But when we get born again in water and in spirit and in truth, we get baptized in water. We get filled with the living water and we get baptized in the fire of the Holy Spirit. We don't get bruised and we don't get striped, even though we can physically, but we walk in the power of the stripes. We walk in the presence of His holiness. We walk in the living water. We walk in on this natural earth. We're natural humans, but we give a kingdom of God principle to this earth and bring in the kingdom of God. Can someone say amen? Can you see the picture now? Can you see it says, why do you partake? So why do we partake? Why do we partake? What's the significance of partaking? You know, it's interesting. When Jesus says, Surely as you, Paul said, got this by revelation in Corinthians. He says, I'm going to give you what the Lord showed me. On that day he, before he was crucified, he broke bread and took, gave thanks. When we partake of something, you know, it's interesting. Let me go back one step in the Passover. They celebrate the Passover feast when God said to, I mean, everyone sticks to this and it's true, but I want to explain something. He said to Moses, go and kill a lamb and put the blood on the doorpost. And when the angel of death comes and he sees the blood, he passes over. That's why it's called the Passover feast. They see the blood of a lamb. But people stop there. But you know what he says to the people inside the house? Now, with that lamb that you killed and put the blood, cook it, roast it, and eat it all. And whatever's left, burn it. Make sure there's nothing left. The blood was to save them, but the meat, the lamb, was to heal them. Because the Bible says they left there and there was not one feeble or weary among them. When we eat of the body and blood of Jesus, we're eating of our salvation, but we're healing of our healing. Now, 1 Peter, let's go back to 1 Peter. Next verse. Next verse. By his stripes we are healed. Now, if you look at that in the real Greek, that word stripes is wounds. Wound, not wounds, wound. Well, that's weird. Wound. Because we got an idea that 
His back had stripes like that bread, like they whipped him. But we know that the type of whip they used ripped the flesh off. Like they would say, depending on how many whips, people would get off and they were just shredding. Their, their skin would just fall like a shredded piece of cabbage. But when they finished with Jesus, the Bible says that he was wounded, but the word wounded or stripes is wound. It's like it looked like one big red sore. Picture someone being skinned alive, and all you see is the muscles, the flat, the sinews, and all you see is this red body bruised, like a like a, a bruising, an open wound. One. It was like one big wound. So when you saw Jesus, all you saw was a man stripped of all dignity. You could say it this way. The flesh was ripped all off him. And by his wound, we were healed. That word healed, I've had punch-ups with people over this. Not literal punch-ups. <laughs> Watch what I say now. Yeah, He punched someone. No, I didn't punch someone. They say that that's healed spiritually. That when we got born again, or we received Christ, we got healed spiritually. In other words, the Isaiah 53 speaks about our spiritual healing, that we're now that we were sinners, now we're saved. True? But that word in the Greek, it's defined, the word for healing. I'm not even going to bother trying to pronounce it. I'll let Rabs do that because he's better than me. <laughs> but that word healing is the same word they use for a doctor healing someone. So he's talking about physical healing. It's not just spiritual healing. Yeah, we're saved spiritually. We've got to start from the spirit first. But that's talking about by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. Why? You have to ask yourself a question, why? We just said earlier that if two blokes go up to a judge and the one's found guilty, he gets whipped. But Jesus was not guilty. Jesus was righteous. Jesus was no sin. But when God put him in front of the Romans, in front of Caiaphas, he didn't open his mouth. He didn't defend his mouth. Why? He had to become the righteous lamb and take on the unrighteousness of us and break the curse of Adam because the curse of every curse came from Adam in the garden. Jesus becomes that curse that we can become blessed. So that's why when the Bible says God pleased him to bruise him, he wasn't pleased as in, oh, I'm gonna, he was pleased that he would go as an offering for his soul so he could redeem me and you. He was pleased that there was someone, someone that was obedient enough to lay down his life to restore all of us. Come on, somebody. Every religion says you got to try and get to God. And Al says, I'm coming down to you if you just believe. If you just believe our report, you'll be free. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. If you believe. I said this with someone the other day and they said, how can they don't believe? How come they can't see it? I said, because we don't even see it and we believe it. When you go, oh me, woe me, why is it? We're just no different than them. That we've got the power of the cross and we don't believe it. We're still searching for happiness. We're still searching for the next best thing. And we have it in the palm of our hands. See, when Adam ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Eve says, eat. He ate and looked and says, nothing happened. God said that she would die. I would die. But she didn't die. So he went and ate and then, boom, his eyes were opened. They partook and sin entered. We partake and sin leaves. Amen.
I love the mysteries of the gospel. Rabs and I will talk about it. Sometimes we, we talk and we think, there's a mystery behind this. <laughs> God, you're going to show us this mystery. The funny thing is, this mystery is hidden in, hidden in plain sight. <laughs> Who has eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to imagine? Who has it? You know, the greatest act of love is Jesus going to the cross. You know, I heard this story about a guy. It was actually Gary Carpenter. He said his father had a farm, and he'd grow apple trees and different orchards in, back in his day. He says this one particular tree was amazing. He looked after it, he nurtured it, watered it, harvested it, you know, all the things, trimmed it. And this tree had a like, it was like a double portion of apples on this tree. This tree would bear, would just reproduce and reproduce. It was an amazing tree. It got so many apples on this tree, it broke the limbs off the tree. And then the Holy Spirit reminded this guy about his childhood. He says, that's what my son did because he bore the love of God. He had so much love, producing love, bearing love, that it was so much that he broke his limbs on the cross, that he had the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. You, you didn't get that. That God's love, Jesus' love for us was so great, it broke his limbs because he had to go to the cross. That's why it pleased God. That's why he went into judgment when he knew no sin, but he became as a judged man. Why? Why? Because he was righteous. And God's punishment for all of sin, all of curses, was on Jesus. And now it's been fulfilled in Christ. Hallelujah. 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 I could go all night, but I'm not. The patterns of the scripture of the Old Testament is a signpost pointing to Jesus. The law was given. It's pointing to Jesus. The ceremonies they did, we've spoken about the robes, you're probably bored, was pointing to Jesus. But I love what the Father does with us. He sends us Jesus puts him on a cross, and then he says, I'll raise him up so I can give you life now. The life in Christ can be living in you. Not the life of Adam. Adam died at the cross. Mankind died at the cross. Bible says that you're a new creation in Christ. The word creation means species. It's like there's a species, a certain type of species on earth, and they killed it. Or a certain type of disease, and they killed it. That's what happened at the cross. That God put Adam, mankind, on the cross and killed him at the cross. And when he rose again, he was the firstborn of many brethren. Hang on a second. How can Jesus be the firstborn of many brethren when he raised Lazarus from the dead? He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He went to a funeral, and they couldn't have a funeral because he'd raised him from the dead. Elijah raised the, you know, a little boy from the dead. 
But he was known as the firstborn from the dead. What does it mean? He was the firstborn of spiritual death, that Jesus would go into hell, take the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and come out and say, Adam, you're staying here, but I'm rising up for you and me so we can have eternal life with him. Does that make sense? I just want you to start reading scriptures differently. You're going to quote Isaiah 53 all day and not believe it. You can say, I'm a new creation in Christ and not believe it. Say, Jesus loves me and not show any love. Jesus says, who loves much, who has been forgiven much, loves much. You know, it's a sad indictment on us as believers that we can walk miserable on this earth knowing what Jesus has done for us. That's <laughs> upset about half the room. I'm not saying you don't have troubles. I'm not saying you don't go through tribulation. I'm not saying you don't go through woes. And I'm not saying that. But he has overcome the world. So I walk in the victory of Christ. I'm not walking for a victory. By his stripes, I am healed. Not, please, Lord, heal me. I'm healed. I just got to start confessing it and believing it and walking in it. Why? Because he's already paid for it. If someone paid something for you, you're going to go pay for it again. It's yours. Go and get it. Oh, you sure? He paid for it. Oh, you sure? The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteous. So in Abraham's day, he believed God and he, they put it on an account. When was that account paid for? When Jesus came. By faith. I'm enjoying myself. So this, at the end of the night of the Sabbath, the kids would run, and let's say one little kid found it. He was jumping for joy. Now, they got all these breads on the table, but this one kid found a treasure. What did Mary do when she went to the tomb? She found the linen folded. But they find it folded, hidden as a mystery, as a treasure. And they get it and they rejoice. But when she came, it was folded, but he wasn't there. See, they eat this bread to remember their affliction. We eat this bread to remember his affliction. They eat this bread waiting for the Messiah to come. We eat this bread because he has come. They eat this bread praying for miracles. <laughs> we walk in miracles. They pray for everlasting life for the king to come. But we eat this because the king has come and he's waiting for us to join him. Are you with me? So when Mary came and he wasn't there, he goes, where she, she perceived to be a gardener. Where have you hidden my Lord? Give him to me. This is a heart we all need to have. We need to get the Lord. Give him to me. Give him to me. Let the am I bury him. Or whatever she said. He says, Mary, it's me. She he thought he was the gardener. That was restoring Eve. Because the last time Eve saw the truth in the garden, and it got destroyed because of sin, and now she sees the gardener. Hello? She sees God in the garden, pure, put into order. Not a jungle, not a forest, not a bush. It was a garden. Garden means it's in order, everything to its own kind. And the last time, and it corrupted. The Bible says weeds and thorns and thistles came and the earth was cursed. And now Eve, through Mary, 
sees Jesus, the gardener. Why? He's come back to restore the garden back to where it should be. The Bible says that in the, in the garden, and this is another thing, uh, sacred cow you made. The Bible, we, we've been taught that as soon as they sin, God said, out. And the Bible says that a big sword of an angel could, and he just stood there guarding the garden. So that, Because the Bible says if they ate from the tree of life, there'd be no redemption. Read it in your Bible. I haven't got it here now. That's your homework. The Bible says he put a cherubim with a flaming sword every which way to guard the way to the tree of life. He put an angel at the tree of life, represents Jesus, but if Adam and Eve ate from that tree of life, there's no more redemption. So he puts them out of the garden and sends Jesus back so he can bring them back to the garden and eat from him. He's the true tree of life. He didn't keep them out because he hated them. He just said, I don't, you can't eat that until my son comes back. The sword represents the word of God. Hello. Sword of the spirit, flaming sword, word of God. Every which way, the Bible says, north, south, east, west. What's that? The cross. He wasn't trying to keep them out because they're evil people. He's trying to guard it so they can bring them back. What were they? The Bible says, what were the early church called? They were called, they weren't called Christians. The way. Remember the fish symbol, the ictus? Yeah? They were called the people of the way or the people on the way or the, the believers of the way. What does that say? He guarded the way. Back to the garden. Why? See, Adam lost the garden, but Jesus got the whole world. And we participate in that. God's had a plan from day one. He's had an exit strategy from day one. But I want to ask you something. The Bible says that he offered up his soul as a sin offering. You could say it this way. We know he offered up his life, yeah? The Bible says, he who keeps his life will lose it, and those who lose their life will find it. The word life is soul. Soul, life, same. Jesus offered up his life as a sin offering that we could have the life of Christ in us. Are you with me? The Bible says he was whipped. Mel Gibson's movie is fantastic, and it's still not close. How much worse was it? What does the Bible say? No flesh can... Enter the kingdom. Can it? The Bible says, crucify the flesh daily. What did Jesus do? I'm getting revelation as I'm speaking to you. The Bible says, by his wound. In other words, Jesus' back, all this, it wasn't just his back that was whipped. That would whip his face. That whip his back of his legs, the back. The whole idea is to whip him from here down and around so they couldn't even walk. You know, there was a thing going on in the nightclubs in, in England that... People would come and slash the backside of your backside in a nightclub. You couldn't sleep and sit down and lay down on your back for, for three months. That was the gang members were slicing you. Imagine getting whipped. Not 39 lashes. God knows how many lashes. So his skin was ripped off his body. I'm sorry for the gory details. But that speaks of the flesh being removed. The flesh being removed. That body was broken, then put on a cross, and he took on the sin of man, spiritually, soulishly, and bodily, and put it to death. So the curse of Adam, what did we say earlier? 
The garden was cursed, was it not? Come on. The garden was cursed with what? What did he curse the ground with? Thorns and thistles. Yeah? The garden was cursed. Thorns and thistle. Man, and he said to Adam, from now on, you by the sweating of your brow, you'll have to tend to the ground. Before, he didn't have to do nothing other than pick the fruit. And now he has to toil it. He has to cut it. He has to move thorns. The sweating of your brow speaks of your mind. Now you've gone from a spiritual mind to an earthly carnal mind. Jesus comes. Where did the crown of thorns go on to? His head. He crucified the carnal mind. He took the mind of Adam and crucified it so we could have the mind of Christ. Are you getting it? That he's paid the ultimate price, man. That he stood in front of an unrighteous judge, but truly the righteous judge was putting him on trial. He knew no sin, that he became sin, that we could become the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. As they're giving out the communion, has everyone got communion? Hallelujah. Everyone say amen. Amen to what he has done for us. He hasn't left us as an orphan. He's adopted us into the family. He's paid the ultimate price. And I love what Jesus says. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. There is no life in you. And they took it literally. Because under the Jewish law, you can't be a cannibal. You can't, you're not even allowed to eat meat with blood in it. The Bible says the blood is mine, says the Lord. The blood was either for sacrifice or for the earth. And as we've given out the communion, have you got, have you got the bread yet? They're coming out, sorry. So I want you to see this for yourself. Because I don't just want to have communion for communion's sake. I want you to see this now. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, it's a pretty good time to do it now. It's a pretty good time to surrender your life to Jesus. The Bible says most people that take the body and blood of Jesus unworthily take it into judgment. Now, what does that mean? It means oh, We've just spoken the whole hour here about the body. We discern the Lord's body. But are we the body of Christ? Are we not? Are we not? If we're the body of Christ, we're partaking in the body as a body. So if you have something against one another, repent now. Ask God to forgive you now or ask them to forgive you. Whatever it is in your heart now, release it now. You don't want to devour the body because you are the body of Christ and we are the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Has everyone got bread? Can you look at it for me for a second? No yeast in it. No leaven. Speaks of no sin. It's bland. It's just water, flour, and put into an oven. It's the bread of affliction that Jesus went through at the cross. It's the power of our healing. Why is it by his stripes we are healed? 
He, the stripes, the punishment had to do with unrighteousness, had to do with sin, had to do with a curse. So where did that come from? Adam. So when Jesus went and got purged, he took the punishment Adam deserved and broke the curse that you could become blessed. I can become blessed. There's a bruise. See the bruising? See the holes? See the lines? God put it into motion, put it into, into a pattern, put it into a celebration, put it into a feast in the Old Testament to show us. And yet we say, how come they can't see it? Yet we can't see it because we walk around broken and busted and disgusted. But we need to know when we partake of the body and the, and the blood of Jesus, we are declaring this till he returns. What does that mean? It means that I'm going to serve him. I'm going to walk like him. I'm going to have the mind of Christ. I'm going to have the body of Christ. I'm going to have the freedom of Christ. I'm going to have the power of Christ. I'm going to have the presence of Christ as I walk on this earth. As I take this every day, I remember what he did for me. Because you know what he says, remember? Because some of us forget what he did at the cross. We forget because you know what? We'll forget very quickly. We're human beings. We'll forget very quickly what is the power and the presence of God in our life. We can't go back to the dead man's, dead man's religion or dead man's philosophy or, uh, you know, if we come into his presence. Why? The limbs of that tree was broken. And that, you know what broke it? Love. We partake. You know what the Jews called this in the early church? The love feast. You know what we're doing when we get to heaven in the marriage supper of the Lamb? We're having communion with the Lord himself. That's the love feast. That's the wedding feast. That's when we become one with him. Hallelujah. I'm excited. Lift it up. Can we stand? 100%. 100%. Can I bring the kids in? Because I think it's a very powerful moment. I've never taught like this before. I've never shared in this detail before. But I think it's very important. If we're going to go to the next level in God or in the next step towards what God's trying to do, you know, you know, you don't know how much, but Rabs and I love you guys. You don't know how much our heart desire is to get you guys to, I pray there's a 50 preachers here and 50 pastors here and 50 teachers here and 50 prophets here, 50 evangelists here. Because there's a harvest. God wants to send the harvest. He says, look, the, the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. Broken people cannot fix other broken people. But if my brokenness is in Christ... If the broker is in Christ. Now we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to play a song as we stand. And it's just you and God. Please hear my heart. It has to be you and God. Has to be you and Him. In the Holy of Holies, there was only one room for one person. But He's opened up the Holy of Holies. Yes, we come corporately. But we have to come individually. There's no power in just coming corporately. Corporately is beautiful, but God wants you one-on-one -on -one just for Him. Hallelujah.